Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast where every episode I'll dive deep into the creative minds of your new favorite songwriters, band leaders, and sonic explorers who, like me, have dedicated their lives to traveling the world, telling their strange stories to anyone who'll listen. My name is Zach Lupiton. Let's go. This week, we feature another intimate cross-country conversation I had in the thick of the pandemic pandemonium, featuring a multi-talented, multilingual cello and banjoist, singer-songwriter, and intuitive homegrown ethnomusicologist who often honors her Haitian heritage by bringing us into a vibrant world of Creole rhythms, by rejuvenating an often forgotten African and island string band tradition and bringing them to a new audience with her own powerful original visions. Ladies and gents, Layla Makala. If you're lurching towards your mid to late 30s, losing your hair, and maybe feeling your knees creak a bit like me, you'll notice that all the friends you used to hang out with, you know, the ones who would stay up late with you, do spontaneous things like go to nightclubs and watch underrated faded blues singers or indie rock, maybe future superstars, you know, those people who would do anything with you at any time, all of those folks can't hang out with you anymore. They're having babies, and they're raising them. And maybe sometimes they'll venture out to their front balconies or wave to you from their back porch windows and say hi with masks on. But for the most part, they don't really have time to tune into your digital music fest or your play about hedgehogs on Zoom or to listen to the latest cello playing Creole singing wonder of the world playing in your headphones. But Layla Makala is a little different. She deserves to be heard, and I'll tell you why. Go to her Instagram right now if you have a chance. You'll see she isn't just a mom. She's a touring band mom. She's a mom of three with two little twins, often proudly breastfeeding in the front row of a theater before soundcheck. And as this is the first episode of August, which is, you guessed it, Breastfeeding Awareness Month, I want to give some love to hardworking creative artist moms like Layla, who are raising her brood and her dog in New Orleans. You'll hear them all in the background of this episode. And really, they are juggling so many chainsaws in the air and making so many new songs in so many languages, you'll wonder how she can pull it off at all. And she's always searching for more, for the next song, the next sound. Maybe that restless push for more and more is what inspired her newest long play record, The Capitalist Blues. A smiling, snarling smack in the head of an album that harnesses the boozy, brassy firecracker sound she drank in busking on Royal Street in the heart of the joyous, jazz-drenched French Quarter to examine the broken economic, racial, and gendered systems that have held down people of color like her and her daughters for generations. And digging her fingers deep into the flesh of a decaying society isn't new for her. Her parents are human rights activists from Haiti, and if you dig deeper into her work, which you should, her standout previous record from 2016, A Day for the Hunter, A Day for the Prey, puts her gorgeous cello work center stage while also subtly examining the powerful Haitian proverbs and history that often go overlooked, while also being eerily prescient about an oncoming autocrat who is encouraging his unmarked military forces to disappear people off city streets at protests into unmarked minivans. And though the music is often poetic and pretty, it makes us wonder who is the hunter and are we the prey? How did we get here into a trap of our own making? What happens when America tells us who we really are in November? Are we ready to realize that the enemy is us? Like me, you may not have ever seen Layla touring on her own, but you may know her as an integral part of two different Roots supergroups. The former powerhouse Grammy winners, the Carolina Chocolate Drops, centered around the talents of Rihanna Giddens and the ever-studious Dom Flemons, who was on our show, and the newly Grammy-nominated all-female Dynamos Our Native Daughters, which also feature Rihanna alongside Allison Russell of Birds of Chicago and striking newcomer Amethyst Kia. But for much of the last decade, beginning with her Langston Hughes-inspired record Varied Colored Songs, which I really recommend you listen to on SoundCloud, Layla has put out a heady and ever-surprising crop of solo work which, like the capitalist blues, only shows her becoming more daring and unafraid to step into the spotlight, a place where she deserves to be in her own right. There's something that she mentioned towards the end of our conversation that stuck with me. 
It was that only recently, after three albums and touring the world, has she finally become comfortable with her own voice, with knowing that she is in front and people are listening to her only. Musicians and songwriters are empathetic creatures. I often get much more joy seeing someone sing one of the songs that I wrote with me just playing guitar quietly behind. But if you're like me and are questioning your purpose and your place in this new era in art, maybe the first place to look for answers is within. Who am I and what story do I have to tell? We all come from somewhere. What stories are lurking underneath the floorboards of your childhood home? I realized today that I don't think I've ever written a song about the little town outside Chicago where I grew up. It's a great place to live. I had fun, I went to the beach, I went to summer camp. But what really happened there when I was a kid? What ghosts are flying between the walls of our 130-year-old house? I've never even thought to examine them. Do you ever get tired of your own stories, of your own love affairs that you keep rehashing over and over again when you write something new? Maybe it's time to dive a little deeper. What is the story I want to be remembered for? If I were to get picked up by one of those unmarked guards in their unmarked vans, if things were to turn one notch darker in November, or if somehow I caught this vicious virus that simply won't quit us, how would I want to be remembered? As a man who is consumed whole by music? As a good friend? A rare, melancholy, diehard White Sox fan? As a songwriter who is unafraid to let his freak flag fly? That's something I've been thinking about. What am I waiting for? Why can't I write the songs and make the music that I really want to make? And maybe I don't even know what that is yet. What am I waiting for? I want to make music that makes my heart leap out of my chest. Music that means something, not just now, but long after I'm gone. But maybe that's not up to me. What Layla has created with her cello and with her words and her mother tongues and her ever warm voice is something that I think will stand the test of time and will capture by winking at the past and peering over the ledge of the future just how we are right now. Anyway, I'm glad you've tuned in. Please tell your music-loving amigos about our show. Subscribe, and even better, write us a friendly review on iTunes if you can. It means a lot. And always, make sure you donate to your favorite out-of-work bands right now. Buy their vinyl, get their t-shirts, send love and cosmic cash hugs to us at Dust Bowl Revival on Venmo, and even better, tell a friend to listen to our new record, Is It You, Is It Me? So much great magical music came out during the beginning of this pandemic pandemonium, and it got lost in the shuffle like our record. I hope you dig it. I love it so much. But that's enough for me. Here she is now, kids akimbo, dog adjacent, the lovely and talented Crescent City Queen, Layla McCullough. There ain't no use in trying to run away. It ain't no use. There ain't no use in trying to run away. It ain't no use. My name is Layla McCalla and I play cello, banjo, and guitar. Um, I sing in English and Haitian Creole and French, and um, I am interested in telling stories that need to be told through music. And you grew up in New York or in Jersey? I was, I was born in Queens, New York. Very big difference. I was born in Bayside, Queens, and I grew up in Maplewood, New Jersey, when my when my my parent, when I was five years old, my parents bought a house in Maplewood, New Jersey, which is in Essex County, um, northern New Jersey, uh, about a half an hour express train ride into um, midtown Manhattan. And so, um, you know, I tell people I'm from New York because and I feel like I became an adult in New York. I, you know, created a life in New York. But um, I grew up in New Jersey and, and, you know, my parents commuted my whole life into work, into the city. And so, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a tri-state girl, but I also lived in West Africa when I was in high school. You know, I traveled to Haiti many times, lived in Haiti, you know, for months at a time when I was a very young child. And, um, yeah, New York feels more like home than Maplewood does. (laughs) No offense to anybody from Maplewood. So your your folks came from Haiti, and did they bring, you know, some of their music with them? And, and how did that filter into your brain as a little one? 
So my, my parents emigrated to the United States in the 1960s during the Duvalier regime. Um, my mother was five years old. My father was 13. And, um, you know, they, they met um, when my mother was 19 and, and I was born when my mother was 25. So, you know, both of my parents um, have been engaged in um, human rights activism really for my entire life. And music came into my life very separately from, from any of that. Um, I started taking cello lessons through the public school system in Maplewood when I was in fourth grade. Um, sorry, that's my daughter screaming at her dog in the background. <laughs> um, hold on one second. Let me just make sure that everything's okay. You can bring her on this on yeah. the show too. That's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started. I started playing when I was uh, about eight years old. I was in the fourth grade in the public school system, the Seth Boyden Elementary School. I was got stuck playing cello and. You know, I eventually started taking private lessons. There were a few girls in my class that were taking private lessons, so I wanted private lessons, and um, and that really helped my 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 musical aptitude increased from there. Um, you know, I really sucked at music in the beginning. I was not. Well, we all did. I was, yeah, but I was like, you know, there there was no. Uh, there was no like natural affinity, you know, um, for yeah. a long time. And I got lucky. I studied um, cello with a woman that had just graduated from college. And I was very inspired by her. And she passed me on to her teacher, who um, was a man named Andre Milianov, who taught at Juilliard. And um, that really elevated my cello playing. And so, you know, I... I was part of chamber music groups and youth orchestra and taking private lessons. And then I started to really develop a ambition for being a professional musician. And, um, I think what happened was when I was in high school, my mother got a job working for an organization that was processing refugees from Sierra Leone and Liberia, um, wow. in Ghana. So I lived in Accra for two years and it, it, it's kind of like when you're in high school, that's like the prime time to be like getting up your chops to apply for, uh, apply to get into conservatories. And I just, when it was time for me to have all those auditions, my playing was just not on the level that it needed to be to get into those schools. Um, and well, did, did you want to play classically? Well, that was my ambition at the time, you know. Um, but I think when I, when I moved to Ghana, I basically stopped playing cello, and um, and so I kind of plateaued, you know. I was on this like upward trajectory, but you know, I, I I when I look back on that time, I feel like that's why that time is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Um, I didn't realize it, but um, you know. 20 years later, I see, oh, if I had stayed on that classical track, I probably wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have discovered my singing voice. I wouldn't be composing and arranging music. I wouldn't be um, playing guitar and banjo. I wouldn't be like having these conversations about, you know, Pan-Africanism and uh, colonization and decolonization, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, it's like you never, you never know why things are thrown into your path, but, um, but it kind of, it kind of has come full circle for me now. Well, I think sometimes over training can hurt a songwriter and, and hurt the ability to perform in a natural sort of warm way. Right. Um, because, you know, not, not that amazing opera singing and, and classical cello aren't, um, you know, beautiful in their own way, but I think there's a, um, a stuckness to it sometimes where it has to be done right or it's, um, 
frowned upon, whereas your voice, I think, is a little more lived in, a little more uh, real. You know, it's like we. I feel like I can uh, live inside your songs in a way that um, when I listen to Verdi or something, I <laughs> it's so beyond my experience that it, it makes no sense to me. It's beautiful, right. but it's on another planet, yeah. you know, and you bring me into some of these Creole rhythms and, you know, you, you were busking on the streets of New Orleans and because you moved there after college. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can feel that in your, in your, in your songs. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, I think that when, you know, I, it's taken me a long time to get out of the paradigm of wrong and right in music. And I think that that's been a big part of my musical journey is not, um, is stopping all of this judgment and actually hearing, like, truth, you know? Merci, bon Dieu, gardez comment la misaille finit pour nous. Merci, bon Dieu, gardez tout ça la nature pour tes pour nous. Merci, bon Dieu, gardez tout ça la nature pour tes pour nous. You know, uh, to me, music has become so much less black and white. And um, and I think that's part of just recognizing, you know, this sort of Western European structure in the thinking about the music. Um, and, and dismantling some of that um, has been really liberating for me. And... I think I hear a lot of classical musicians feeling like they just don't know how to escape it. They don't know how to like think in a different way. And, um, and so I've become really interested in figuring out how to bridge that gap, you know, because there's so many musical traditions around the world that are just as valid and just as beautiful, if not more beautiful, that are not, you know, based on the, you know, 12 chromatic notes (laughs) that we have, you know? Um, So yeah, I I think about that a lot. Especially you hearing music in Ghana at such a formative age. Um, I mean, it must have really thrown your whole classical learning for a a loop. And that's, I think, also been another big part of my musical journey is just like, who am I? What am I even trying to say? Why am I here? Why do I feel drawn to this art form? Um, all those, all those things feel pertinent. Yeah, and it makes sense. I think that you gravitated towards the work of Langston Hughes for your first, you know, solo project, um, Varied Colored Songs. But I'm very curious about it because you know I think as a young person, um, for some reason, yeah, I had a collection of his poems, and I just fell deeply in love with that language and how he questioned everything. Yeah. And that dream deferred idea that everything is sort of in limbo until true freedom and equality can be reached. And I think we're still obviously deep in that journey. We're still grappling with it for sure. Um, Yeah. You know, Langston Hughes, I felt like provided me with a, really beautiful blueprint for how to um, express myself, uh, you know, simply, but poignantly, you know. Um, his writing is so, it's so, it's so um, transparent in this really beautiful way, you know. He's not pulling punches, he's not trying to trick your mind or anything. It's like, it just goes straight to the heart. And that's something that I really, you know, try to do with my music. Keep on chasing the light, you know? Delilah, Delilah. Sorry, my singing in the background. <laughs> As well she should. Yeah. <laughs> but his, his poems seem to be exploding with music. You know, like you, yeah. you could hear the music in Harlem coming out of the page. Yeah. I mean, his his poetry is very musical. So a lot of people have, have you know, made songs out of his poems before. I'm certainly not the first person to um, approach his work in that way. Um, but it was just such a big part of me, you know, asserting myself as an artist. Because I think before that 
record came out, you know, I had never really thought of myself as someone who would release my own album, you know. Um, I always thought that I was more a side person or, you know, playing cello in someone's band, maybe singing background vocals every once in a while, but not really, not really having my own, my own voice so much be, be so front and center. And now, you know, um, obviously that's really changed. (laughs) It's like everything I do. I'm, I'm very front and center in my work and, um, and it feels good, but I think it takes a little while if you if you didn't come from that place of like this is where I'm headed, you know. Um, it took me a, a minute to sort of catch up to um, my my potential in that way. By the way, if people are searching for varied colored songs, you can find it on SoundCloud. All thirteen tracks of it. Can you tell me about the song uh, "Song for a Dark Girl" that you recorded on that? Um, that's a song that, um, comes from a Langston Hughes poem called Song for a Dark Girl. And, um, the whole poem is, it says, Way down south in Dixie, break the heart of me. They hung my black young lover to a crossroads tree. Way down south in Dixie, bruised body high in the air. I asked the white Lord Jesus, what was the use of prayer? Way down south in Dixie, break the heart of me. Love is a naked shadow on a gnarled and naked tree. Um, and you know that 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 song just felt like the the form was already there, and I just had to sing the words, you know. Um, and it was really important to me that that song was on the record because, you know, I don't think that there's any hope for justice without accepting the truth and um and you know that poem lays plainly what the truth of the reality for uh so many people of color is in this in this in this um in this country you know um just fear of a a, a lot of uh awareness of violence against our bodies and um you know, uh, being thought of as not feeling love in the same way or not feeling, you know, whether it be love for our children or, or romantic love, you know, I feel like that that poem really shows that. Way down south in Dixie, break the heart of me, they hung my black young lover to a crossroads tree. Way down south in Dixie, bruised body high in the air. I asked the white Lord Jesus, what was the use of prayer? Way down south in Dixie, break the heart of me. Love is a naked shadow on and on the naked tree love is a naked shadow on and off the naked tree love is a naked shadow on and off the naked tree i'm reading this book um stamped from the beginning right now and you know it's striking the repetitive language you keep hearing of uh, women of color not experiencing pain. Oh, yeah. And that they're not to be believed because they can't actually feel pain like, you know, white folks do. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you've had three kids. Yes. (laughs) I felt pain, okay? (laughs) It was very real. (laughs) You've also toured extensively with them by your side. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you felt like um, you've needed to be an example for for folks? Um, Because you're very open with breastfeeding them in public, with showing that it's okay to be a mom and an artist and you're doing it and it's okay. Like, is that, are you, do you feel like you're, showing folks that it can be accepted and it can be powerful. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, people are like, how are you going to do it? First of all, you, you can't do it by yourself. You need the support. You need the right people around you. Um, and so I always, you know, I try to create an environment when I'm working where, um, where I feel that I feel that support, you know? So having kids definitely has, um, made me think more about how to compartmentalize my time in that way. But also it's like, you can't give from an empty, from an empty vessel. And so I'm just constantly trying to figure out how to, how to fill myself, you know, spiritually, mentally, physically, all the ways. Um, and it's not, it's not easy, but just because it's not easy, doesn't mean it can't be done. Well, I think people who are true music creators, um, it's not a choice, right? Like, yes, it would be easier for you to not <laughs> create music and, and have to do this type of life, but you don't have that choice. You have to do it in some way. You know, it's inside you. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's a, it's totally a compulsion. <laughs> you know, I've always, I've always thought to myself, man, yeah, it's an obsession, especially in this COVID reality. I'm like, what else can I do? You know, and I got, I actually, I got really into baking bread <laughs> and, you know, I had so many people around me who were just like, you gotta, you gotta sell this. You gotta like make a business out of it. And then I thought, you know what? That's exactly what I don't want to do. I already, I already made a business out of something that I'm extremely passionate about. <laughs> I, I don't need to do that. Like I need joy too. I need like space to have joy. Well, you have a song, uh, off your a day for the hunter day for the prey um with Rhiannon Giddens which I think translates Monmon is is mother and and Creole right yeah sorry my daughter is distracting me right now because apparently our dog is bleeding from his okay. ear and I, and I have to see I have to see it um Delilah. Do you want to do you want to save what you have so far and then and pause for a second? Let me just pause. Let me just pause for a second. What kind of dog do you have? Um, so, our dog Gaucho is um, like a lab pit mutt mix. He's really cute, um, but he's a puppy, and now I feel like I have four puppies. <laughs> that's what I've been saying it's like I have like two year old twins and an almost six year old and a nine month old puppy I'm definitely I definitely have four puppies and it's like everyone is in training <laughs> including myself that's a perfect segue to talk about Man Man <laughs> do what you did with Randy Giddens yeah so that's a song called Mama. And it's um, actually written by a man named Mano Shalmain, who's um, a very well-known um, Haitian musician and uh, singer, sort of political protest singer. Um, he's kind of like, people people say he's like a combination of like Bob Marley, Bob Dylan, and um, Georges Brassens. I don't know if nice. you know who that is, but yeah, he has this incredibly, he had an incredibly rich voice and, um, and he's just, you know, the poetry of the Creole is, is really beautiful and, uh, has been a, a great learning experience for me. J'estendrai sa affection manquée, tout ça cause des situations. Garde l'anger, garde l'anger, c'est que nous tous décapachés, maman. Contendez-moi de m'arriver, maman, pagain, joue sacré. Can you tell us a little bit what those lyrics mean? So he says, uh, you know. It's not a surprise. I think the first verse is like, um, it's not a surprise if I'm singing your praise for everything that you've, you know, all the misery that you've endured. Um, I can never repay you. And it's an homage to his 
I mean, I'm assuming to his mother, but just to, mm. to motherhood in general. Um, and it's really, it's really beautiful. Um, the sentiment of the song. Did you grow up speaking or, or practicing Haitian Creole? Was that something that you actually learned like phonetically or, or like, you know, you had to memorize later on? No, I, I grew up with a lot of people speaking Creole around me, but not always uh, to me. Um, I think when I was when I was ten years old, I spent a summer with my grandmother in Port-au-Prince, and that was that was the most sort of immersive experience that I can remember. Um, and I remember coming back, and you know, my comprehension and my speech had improved immeasurably. But I didn't go back to Haiti till I was 20 years old, um, actually, for her funeral. And so, um, yeah, I, I had lost a lot of it. And, you know, part of, part of me sort of delving into finding all these old Haitian traditional songs is connecting with the language and, and understanding it. So you put out... Um the Varied Colored Songs, uh, is that before or after you started uh, playing with the Carolina Chocolate Drops? That was after. I put that record out as I as I uh, was departing the band. That was a really special you know, few years where that band was touring. I was able to see you guys, I think, outside Disney Hall. Like you played like outside somewhere um, in L.A. And... I love Dom Flemons and, and just the the way that you guys were able to um, harness, you know, black string band music, which no one had really heard for a long time, and bring it to a national uh, attention, I think was really important. I feel like I got, that was like my master's degree. <laughs> you know, I learned how to tour and how to take care of myself on the road and and um, and also just, yeah the the stamina it takes for that you know we were we were playing a lot of sold out shows I went from busking on Royal Street to playing sold out shows at the Carolina Chocolate Drops and doing interviews during the day and yeah just I, I hadn't I hadn't lived that way before um, so it's good for me yeah I think that as a touring musician it's it's good to see even if it's not your success, it's good to be around a band that is doing it for real, you know, because yeah. it shows you firsthand that it's possible and that it kind of drives you forward a little bit that like, okay, this could happen to me and my songs and it may take another eight, 10 years. But I think, uh, you know, when my band Dust Bowl Revival toured with Lake Street Dive for a bit, you could see how professional and how driven they were and their crew and their fans. Focused. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, oh, that's how you can do it. Right. And it never dawned on me that we could sort of get there. And then you were doing it with them for a little bit, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was also just, you know, I think really amazing the, the conversations um, that would come up you know, with the Carolina Chocolate Drops because there's a huge academic component, you know, to what they do. And I think that really resonated with me and um, is something that I, I definitely carried into my own work because I've always been interested in that sort of, like, reading and research and, um, you know, sort of intellectual debate and discussion about... Um, this very dense history, you know, what, what makes culture, culture, um, what makes music, music, um, all those influences. Um, I learned a lot about American music and it, and it really kind of pushed me further into wanting to learn about Haitian music. So I'm, you know, I'm grateful, for, I'm grateful for those years because it really, um, I think accelerated my, my growth artistically and creatively in a way that um, would have just been very different on my own, you know? And believe me, uh, Dom Flemons had so much history to uh, 
talk about that. We had to have his episode be two parts. <laughs> I believe that. He's a talker. <laughs> I was like, well, we're just going to keep on, we're going to keep on going and uh, tune in next week (laughs) for more Dom Flemons. That's awesome. But yeah, is there a song on, you know, is there a song that you played with the Carolina Chocolate Drops that you would love for people to hear again? I mean, I think the, the, um, you know, the album that really sort of brought me into the band is the, um, that was the album Leaving Eden. And so I would say uh, the song Leaving Eden. Um, it's the first time that I, you know, I was like, okay, I'll go to Nashville, sure. And then I'm in Buddy Miller's, you know, home studio recording Leaving Eden, and, you know, singing background vocals with Rhiannon. And I was just like, where am I? Who are these people? I, I was totally green. I had no idea what was going on. But I knew how to play my cello. So <laughs> I had that. My sister stayed in Eden, her husband's got some land. An agent for the county thinks that they might make a stand. A hard life working with nothing much to show. A long life leaving with nowhere to go. And the mockingbird can sing like the cry of a dove. I can't tell my daughters all the things that I'm scared of. But I am not afraid of that bright glory up above. Dying's just another way. The title track off of the uh, A Day for the Hunter, A Day for the Prey, it starts with this percussive rhythm that you have just on the cello, and then the fiddle comes in, um, and it feels like it could be almost like a prayer, a meditation that you're leading us in. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, it uh, it came from sort of a meditative state. I was imagining um, what it was like to, uh-oh, my kids are home. I don't know if you can hear that. It's all part of the magic oh, yes. of the recording process. It's very, been a very magical day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was, ima- you know, I, the inspiration I had for that song was uh, reading about a tradition of, of songs that come from Haiti um, that that sort of erupted from the refugee crises of the 80s and 90s. A lot of people were fleeing Haiti by boat to come to the United States. And there's this book called A Day for the Hunter, A Day for the Prey by a writer named Gage Avril, who's an ethnomusicologist and um, has done, you know, uh, a lot of research into... Uh, the intersection of, of, of music and power and politics in Haiti. And uh, for me, it was like a really great opportunity to learn more about late 20th century Haitian history. Um, but this this tradition of songwriting like really kind of captured my imagination. And and I thought, I want to, you know, add add a song to that to that collection. And um, and so, yeah. I, I just love that proverb too, and as soon as I, as soon as I knew that it was a song, it felt like that was going to be the umbrella, thematically for for the, that whole album. And obviously, that was written much before uh, the current protests in, in Portland and places where, you know, these government forces are disappearing people off the street almost, right? But you had right. that line that gave me chills. You know, if I, if I'm taken pray for the souls that have been taken like you know me before you know right and well you know a lot of people people, yeah people have been being detained by the u.s government for you know centuries that is not a new phenomenon and i think that we just don't know enough about our history to realize that if i go away 
detention center in Miami. You can look that up, K-R-O-M-E. Um, and they were detaining a lot of a lot of Haitian asylum seekers. Um, and it's the same stuff that's happening today. Um, yeah, the, the new COVID-19 bill, uh, the Republicans are proposing $2 billion for F-35 military planes, uh, $1 billion for surveillance planes, $283 million for Apache helicopters. I mean, it's like, yeah. read the and room. And how, how much for PR? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, seriously. A billion? <laughs> it's crazy. And there's this fear that in November, we are going to show who we really are. Right. Well, we you are. <laughs> We're show- we've been showing yeah. who we really are. That's the thing. It's like... You know, I think we have this tendency in this country to be like, oh, you know, this is a test. We've been failing the test for 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 years, in my opinion. Um, and, but we've been so caught up in the capitalist system. You know, we've been so caught up in the rat race. And that's another, you know, that's another, just to bring it back to the to the album name, that's another, you know, one of the readings for a day for the hunter, a day for the prey. You know, for me, it, that record was more about like, you know, okay, so if we're always hunting and we're always the prey, you know, where does it stop? <laughs> where do you, where do you find balance? Where do you feel safe? Where do you, where are you at home? Um, and that, that was, I think just something that I, I still think about a lot, you know? And you, released a record, uh, I think it's your newest record, 2019, Capitalist Blues, because that feels like what we're going through right now hard, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like a total self-fulfilling prophecy. I thought I had it before. Now I'm like so deep in it, you know? (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's so funny because I've had so many interviews where people are like, what is the Capitalist Blues? And I'm like, you don't know what it is. <laughs> you don't you don't feel it every single day. You don't wake up like dreading existence. <laughs> that means you must have money. <laughs> Welcome to the capitalist blues. You you chose to kind of have this old school New Orleans jazz backbeat for a lot of the album, which feels decadent and <laughs> kind of uh freewheeling in a way that I think people think capitalism should be. But if you actually listen to the lyrics, you realize how broken it is inside. Right. Well, it's kind of, it's a little bit um, macabre, (laughs) you know? It's a little bit sarcastic. It's a little bit, uh, you know, the song is making fun of itself. The song Capitalist Blues itself is making fun of itself a little bit, you know? Um, because it's so, um, there's a lot of darkness in there. Um, and I always have a hard time facing darkness without a healthy dose of humor. I think laughter is like really, really the way (laughs) to get through life, you know? Um, and so I think that that was, you know, part of that choice artistically, but also I've been living in New Orleans now for 10 years and it's, uh, it's become a part of me. It's become a part of my, my inspiration. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to continue to honor these, uh, beautiful Louisiana musical traditions, you know, that are part of the story of American music.
hard for young black listeners to find you know roots music in that they've sort of moved on to hip hop and other things that are maybe quote unquote more current yeah I mean I think you know it's it, it won't be news to you but nostalgia trips for black people are very yeah. different than they are for white people you know they just are and um and there's a lot of reasons why that is, but um, I think we, you know, and, and that's why, you know, uh, black music has always kind of charted the way for American music in general. I, I feel like, you know, there's, there's nobody in this country that has not been influenced by black music, you know, and what's really interesting is in Louisiana, you bring in you know, uh, a colonial, a more recent colonial history, slightly more recent colonial history um, of, you know, French and Spanish colonial rule um, before the Louisiana Purchase in the early 1800s and language issues that come with that, you know, um, and even talking to, you know, people about the difference between Cajun and Creole. What is it really, you know? Um, and, uh, what is it really? Well, to me, you know, the Cajuns come from the Acadians in um, Canada. And Creole, really, the, it's all Creole. <laughs> that's what's confusing, right. you know. Um, to me, that's the real the real thing. Creole, and it, it, Creole, the word, just means something that originates from where it is not from. You know, so, uh, right. you know, it wasn't until I moved to New Orleans that I realized that Creole is not just a language. It's also an identity. It's a cultural marker, you know. Um, in some ways, we're all Creole, but it tends to refer to people of, um, you know, in, in the United States, at least, we think of it as, uh, you know, French, French-speaking people or people who speak languages that incorporate French. Um, but, you know, I've been to Cape Verde, and they are, they speak Creole, which is like the uh, Portuguese Creole, you know. Um, and that's an even interesting place, too, because they're, that was literally just a slave port. Um, Cape Verde was, there was just volcanic islands off the coast of West Africa that the Portuguese colonized. And I think, you know, I went to, actually, with our Native daughters, went to the um, National Museum of African American History and Culture, and it's like the numbers that you see for Portugal in the slave trade are off the charts, you know? I, I had thought, you know, maybe France or England, but really the Portuguese are the, one of the biggest slave traders, but we, we're not in Brazil, so we don't think of it that way, you know? Um, it's just interesting. It's interesting how we're making a lot of assumptions about history a lot of the time and how it, how it, um, reflects in our, in our daily reality, but it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and there's a song that you have, uh, that you sing on the, uh, songs of our native daughters, the project you do with, um, Rhiannon Giddens, Amethyst Kia, and Allison Russell of Birds of Chicago, who I love very much. Um, and I think it's called La Vie Difficile. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. The Hard Life. Sorry, my daughter keeps on interrupting. Give me one second. What's up, Delilah? Sorry. I will be out as soon as I can be, okay? So cute. Oh my goodness. It's a busy, it's a busy life. It's a uh, difficult life, <laughs> as the song states. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hard life. <laughs> but I wanted to end on on talking about that song yeah. uh, because it kind of symbolizes what 
um, makes music important even in these crazy dark times. It's the idea that creators are giving their whole heart to the listener, no matter how difficult and how um, destitute they may be in this situation that they've created for themselves. And that is prevalent everywhere because I think a lot of independent musicians are realizing that, yeah, this is what we do and it's not enough to keep a family going, but I have to do it anyway because it's part of my gift to the world. Yeah. I think it's also, we have to, you know, musicians have always had to adapt, you know, have to be more adaptable in these situations and, this is a, a huge learning curve. I mean, even just the, the technological, you know, challenges that that I'm facing with all my podcasts and live streams and this and that, you know, um, it's not the same. It's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's a band-aid for now, but it's also critical for us to learn these ways of, of communicating with people and connect and staying connected with people because people really need it and they always will amen ain't got no money ain't got no job ain't got no money ain't got no job but i have your love and i have your heart ain't nothing in this world nothing in this world gonna keep us apart Normally I would request or see if you could play an acoustic song, but I think that might be a little too much to ask from you right now with all the kiddos running around. Is there is there a song that you would like for us to hear off your recent work? Um, man, you know, I always, I, I'm going to go out on the song Settle Down from Capitalist Blues. That was a, that's a, that's a, a good protest song. It's inspired by a tradition of music in, in Haiti called Rara music. And it is a Rara song. Um, and uh, I wrote this thinking about, um, yeah, I mean, all the people that want to keep people from protesting, that's our, that is our right to protest. It did, actually, did you see that? I read an article recently that said a lot of the Portland protesters are being told that they can't be released unless they agree to never protest again. How is that legal at all? That isn't legal. That's illegal. But these people are being, these people are being detained for exercising their right. And then they're being told, we'll let you go if you agree to not have this right anymore. We're, we're leaning towards authoritarianism, but we have to keep up the pressure. We have to. So I'm going to go out on this one. Settle down. All right. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> for fitting me into your crazy day. Yeah, thanks, thanks for uh, coping with my crazy day alongside me. <laughs> and I hope the dog is not bleeding too much. No, he isn't. He had a cut from a couple days ago, and it's a scab, and my daughter just wanted attention. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down to keep you from
There you have it. Layla McCalla, everybody. You can go to LaylaMcCalla.com for her music. And, uh, you know, people don't like wearing masks in this country, so there will be no tour dates for the foreseeable future. Uh, her newest record is called The Capitalist Blues. It is awesome. And you can also check out her supergroup, Our Native Daughters, featuring Allison Russell of Birds of Chicago, who you might have heard on this very program. Go back to our archives, listen to that episode, and many more theshowontheroad.com slash episodes. And if you are a champion, a good person who loves podcasts, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe, and tell your friends. It means so much to us. If you know and love an artist or a band that is currently not working right now, which is pretty much everyone, make sure you donate to them. Buy a vinyl, buy a t-shirt. My band, Dust Bowl Revival, will be making some cool new videos coming up, and you can donate to us at Dust Bowl Revival on Venmo, or go to our website, dustbowlrevival.com, buy a vinyl, buy a t-shirt, and you can tip the band there as well. It means a lot. If you head over to thebluegrasssituation.com, you'll see that back in January, they did a wonderful piece on The Capitalist Blues, the new album by Layla Michaela, and it's part of their Black Voices series. I actually wrote a piece for the website called Listen to These Black Voices, including some of my favorite artists touring the world today, Dom Flemons, Liz Weiss, Bobby Rush, Allison Russell of Birds of Chicago, Sunny War, so many great black artists that you need to listen to right now. Please check that out. At the end of this week, I'll be heading out to Utah for a little trip to Zion National Park and to Bryce Canyon. I hope I don't get a heat stroke, fingers crossed, and then every other Wednesday, we'll be back with new episodes. Some big news coming as well, so look out on our Instagram, Show in the Road Podcast. Thank you so much, guys, and see you on the trail. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.